I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Ideas Digest, the live podcast where we fear no idea and we practice humanizing those we might disagree with by doing a simple thing called listening to them and we just try and understand them. My name's Conrad and if you're a new friend of the show, welcome. You're very welcome. Great to have you here. But I do need to be honest. Um, I'll warn you straight up. This podcast isn't for everyone. (laughs) Now, even though everyone is welcome... I don't know if it's for everyone. It's If you're looking for a warm, cozy echo chamber, this isn't really one. Nothing against warm echo chambers. You know, they're great sometimes. I, I have a couple I go to just to relax, uh, but this isn't one. So if you're listening to this podcast long enough, you're probably going to hear some ideas you disagree with uh, or, and you'll find them very challenging. This is by design. It will be uncomfortable at first, but I promise, I promise, if you stick with it, I think you'll learn to love it. So with that disclaimer out of the way, you know, I watch my follower count go up and down as I post like different controversial uh, people come on and off and people are like, oh, what the hell? This isn't what I signed up for and unfollow. And that's okay. You can do that. But if you stick with it, I think you'll love it. Let's get into it. The clickbait today, it's an easy one. Everything is spiritual. So some people already know what's going on. Uh, welcome, new friend of the show, Rob Bell. Rob Bell, thanks for joining me on Ideas Digest. Great to be with you, especially with that intro. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's going to get even more fun, Rob, because um, we like to play a game on the show. It's called uh, confessing our judgments. So we judge and confess. Uh, when, when people meet somebody new, we think all these things about them, these judgments, assumptions, and we might just go away and be thinking, oh, did you meet that Rob guy? Yeah, he's this, 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 and this, and we have these judgments. And here on Ideas Digest, we just want to get them out of our system, but we're going to be a bit generous and let you respond to them. And so with our guests, we say, we'll confess our, our assumptions about you, and you get to say yes or no. So two tiny little boxes, we're going to squash you into one of them. <laughs> There'll be plenty of time for nuance later. How does that sound? Oh, that is awesome. All right. So it's a, it's a yes or no. I mean, some people try and squeeze nuance in there, but we fight against it pretty hard. We're like, no, no, we'll, for, for the yes or no. All right. Um, I, I've done some, I've done some Googling, Rob. You, you, people like you make it easy for me to come up with assumptions. Sometimes they're harder than others. Uh, but I've done some Googling and some judgments and assumptions some people might have. Number one, I know, I know you're in California, yes? Yes. Uh, you must be one of these West Coast liberal elites. Yes what does no? that even mean? Seriously. You, you, get, you get to decide you and then say yes somebody or no. up. You know what that is? That's lazy. That's what that is. This will be the laziest segment you've ever done, Rob. <laughs> which, which, which box would you like to go in? Well, I just find most political terminology to be sad and tired, and it's outdone its its service. So even right and left, what does that even mean anymore? You know what I mean? Oh, I, I do. I do. But just for the people out there to squeeze you into a box, <laughs> which one? No. 
Uh-uh. Which one? No, not going to no, happen. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not. So what happened to right. me? Uh, what happened to me? I was in a band. The band broke up in college. And so I went and studied theology and then I became a pastor. And what happened is the job in my early 20s was to be with people in their suffering. And I didn't know that this was the job being a pastor. But like you get called to the prison, you get called to the hospital, you get called to the funeral home. And so what happened in my early 20s is my assumptions about people when I was with them in their suffering got blasted to shreds. You know what I mean? That's why I love the disclaimer you did at the beginning. My framework for this person is this, this person is this, this person is this in my 20s it all got blasted to pieces because I saw people in the highs and lows of life and generally whatever I brought to the situation proved untrue. You know what I mean? (laughs) Rich people who are actually very poor, poor people who are actually very rich in ways that mattered. You know what I mean? Like all the categories got blown to shreds. Rob's just jumped out of all the boxes. He's, He's given the moral of the story away already. He's like, listen, Boxes don't fit. Categories don't work. And, you know, that, that is the, uh, the exercise that we do here. We come to the, assum- yeah. the end of the assumption segments and go, oh, none of them really fit. But I do want to try and force, see, see if I can force you into a couple and you can jump out of the boxes later. I promise. You can go like, I no, love, no, I love really, how committed really. you are to the structure here. I love it. I, I, I want to like squeeze you in. I've had a few people. So here's just a couple more. Here's a couple more. I, I Googled it. Rob Bell, are you a heretic? Yes or no? <laughs> we love heretics. We need heretics. I actually so that's a, that's an affirmative. followed it yes? all the way to the center. Is perhaps the person who sees themselves as the mainstream orthodox actually the heretic? Sometimes the entire tradition has lost its way. So the tradition is calling that person a heretic, but in fact, the tradition itself went off the rails. Rob, you, you're the first one to break the game. You've brought the nuance. You've knocked the boxes off the table, and I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. You've just gone, what are labels? Uh, what does this really mean? You, you've slipped out of all the boxes. So I think, you know, we'll jump We'll jump to the nuance straight away. I had, man, I had a few good ones. Some people really wanted to know. Yeah, I'll give, give me one, one more because my listeners really wanted this. They wanted this. They go, Rob Bell. The internet cries this this dirty word. You, uh, they say you're a universalist. The the big U word. What does that word mean? Uh, you you define it, and then you say yes or no. That's fascinating. I think I don't actually know what people mean by that word. That seems like a once again a very broad, lazy word that is just applied to somebody. What do you think they mean? Well, I've heard some people say what they, what they mean is truth doesn't matter. Or what they mean uh-huh. is nothing matters. Or what they mean, they, they mm-hmm. literally are saying, so in the end, being good or being compassionate or helping people is futile because nothing matters in the end. So it actually presents itself as religious terminology, but it's actually the language of despair. So I would just reject that wholeheartedly. For other people, what the word means is you believe that everybody is loved. (laughs) 
So uh, once again, mm-hmm. and you would once say, yeah, yes, again, once again, a word used by people essentially to other other people. It just creates an us and them. It creates an other. <laughs> just a once again. You're you're doing you kind of doing this show better than better than no I no you're the master right. when we you're when the we master. Judge, <laughs> when we ju- when we judge and make assumptions that is correct they are labels to divide and we're going to try here to as Rob's just brought a lot of nuance to the table a lot of uh, different ideas to explore so we won't waste any more time with these silly assumptions and trying to squeeze Rob into a box that he he'll just wriggle out of anyway. Um, there, there was plenty out there on the internet, Rob, but I, I'm sure like this is an old game that you've played for quite a long time. You're, you're the veteran of uh, having some labels thrown against you and being like, well, what does that mean? And, and, and what do we mean by this? So let's come to the clickbait idea, the, the beginning point. Everything is spiritual. The book you've just released, Rob Bell, can you intro us to this idea of everything being spiritual? Like... I guess maybe you start by when you say the word spiritual, what do you mean? 13.8 billion years ago, there's a point of infinitely compressed matter and density. There's a bang. And in the first three minutes after this big bang, all you have is subatomic particles. That's all that existed. Those subatomic particles about three minutes in begin to bond with other particles and that forms atoms. Those atoms then, about 300,000 years into the life of the universe, begin to bond with other atoms, and that forms molecules. You know where this is headed. About 9 billion years in, those molecules bond with other molecules and form cells. The universe had never seen cells before. So what is it that is animating this expansive experience we know to be the universe? 13 billion years in, human beings emerge, and then human beings develop consciousness the ability to reflect on this experience and ask questions like, what box do you fit in? That happens 13 billion years in. So what's happening in the story that we are living in? Because if I told you, Conrad, that story about the universe, you'd be like, that is too weird. And yet it's what's happening. So what is this animating energy that keeps expanding, creating new forms endlessly with greater complexity and depth that you and I also feel, because you started a podcast. So something within you wants to make something new, wants to have new conversations. And you, if you and I were to go into our personal stories, I imagine you've had loss, correct? Suffering, heartache, and yet Mm. new things. If I were to ask you the key moments that made Conrad Conrad, that shaped you, that formed you, that forged your character, you would probably tell me about difficult things you've been through that like woke you up or that helped alter your trajectory. So what is that life-giving transformative energy that is present in all the messes that keeps moving the thing forward? That's what I mean by everything is spiritual. There's a depth to this experience we're having. That we almost can't explain, but all occupy and all are a part of. Do you think... Do you think we confuse the word, or some people might use the word spiritual as a synonym for good? Oh, um, but not everything is good. Because <laughs> mm. I guess that might be some of like, when, when some people hear the clickbait and they go, okay, everything is spiritual. 
people might be thinking, yeah, but like, what about suffering and what about the hard times? And you've just brought those in going, well, you're not, yeah, you're not using spiritual as a synonym for like everything spiritual being good. And that's the problem is for many people, their thoughts around the word spiritual are all lofty, wonderful ideas about goodness and not the grit and dirt and ache of life. So uh, when you think about spirit, we're talking about the life animating energy that transcends the categories of good and bad. So you think about success, failure, winning, losing. For many people, life is a series of binaries. Are you this or are you this? But then when you look back on your life, it's often what at the time you called failure, what you called loss, what you called bad, that is actually where all sorts of new life came about. Like that's where, think of all the artists, think of all the art that comes out of the dark night of the soul. Think about all the great exploration that comes out of the difficulty. So spirit is actually the non-dual presence that is undergirding all of these various categories that oftentimes people live trapped in. So, no, uh, everything is spiritual means, especially in the ache and the messes of life, you're keeping your eyes open for what new wants to come out of even this. That's how I'd say it. And that, and that, I guess, that inclusion of the hard, right. the, the hard times, the right. failure connects connects us to this continuing arc of what drives us to new right. creation, new inclusion, yeah. new love is kind of what you're talking about when you're saying spiritual, everything is included in that. Human right. Experience. Something within deep within your humanity goes, what the f something, something's happening even in this. What is this? I thought that thing was lost. I thought it was over. I thought there was no future and yet that there was something in it that something real something and by spiritual that which is real but you cannot access with your five senses you cannot hold it in your hand and yet it's just as real as anything you can hold in your hand so the connection you have with another person the sense you have when you say we connected at a soul level well, okay, point to that. Prove that. Show me in a lab. Do you know what I mean? Give me the data on that soul collection, that soul connection. I can't do it, and yet it's just as real as anything I could give you data on. So that's one of at the at the at the center of so at the center of my work is helping people understand and give language to those experiences of life that don't fit within the conventional modes of knowing. Because you and I, we're, we're, we're children of the Enlightenment. We're children of scientific materialism, which is wonderful. But what, I mean, it gave us hospitals and airplanes and iPhones and the ability to talk to each other across the world. Like, it did wonderful things, but it also, for many people, it gave them a very narrow lens for understanding how we know what we know. So... For many people, there's this, these experiences of life that don't fit within those narrow categories of knowing that are just as real. And that's th for thousands of years people have affirmed this.
And so you're saying those narrow categories of knowing would be like purely like materialism. We can only know what we can like independently measure and verify. And you're talking about, yeah, but what about these things that seem to come from the human experience itself that can't be measured? And people would say, well, that's all neurons in your brain. It doesn't, it's not real. But you would say what to that? You're standing in a room in the hospital holding your kid who was just born. That's real. That's real. Mm -hmm. And yet, where do you map that neurologically? So even consciousness itself, you and I have an awareness of our awareness. And that awareness is the lens through which we've had our entire human experience. And yet, none of us can point to our consciousness. So even at the heart of being a human is this great paradox. We have this consciousness. This consciousness is aware that we have a brain, that we're having this experience. It is the lens through which everything has been perceived. And yet it is also that which you cannot point to in any clarifiable way. So there are these mysteries at the heart of the human experience. The human beings, you know, we've been singing about this for thousands of years. This says the, the poets... The prophets, the philosophers, you know, this is the magic, the juge, the juice, the, the wonder and awe of life. <laughs> what you're talking about, it sounds, it sounds obvious. It sounds non-controversial. It sounds uh, something that I think everybody listening could kind of theoretically get their, could get their <laughs> head around. But talk to me a bit about, I suppose, your journey to... Because there's, there's accepting the theoretical reality that, yeah, like your subjective experiences are important and these things that happen to you shape you and lead you to new experiences. But then I like, as I read your book and you kind of explore a little bit in your book, what leads you to, I suppose, accepting that this idea that everything is spiritual on a real level and like applying it and, and, and having it. I suppose, be real as a space that you live from. Like, what led you to the moment where you went, oh, this does belong. Oh, this is all part of it, not just let's escape this earth, let's move on type. What a great question. Um, because I came, I came from a world and I was trained in a world, I'm trying to think how to say this, that ever so subtly you're going to die and the real action is when you die. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you're going to die and go someplace better. So ever so gradually. And that's the Christian Yeah, story. yeah. Uh, well, that, that was what I sort of had observed is it seemed to place its center and its heart someplace else. Almost like this was a warm-up for some better thing. But then... I kept noticing when I started, I started actually giving sermons because I saw a sermon as like an art form that needed to be reclaimed as like dangerous, subversive, guerrilla theater, performance art. So I was reading the Bible, but like, wait, 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 this book is not about some other time and place. This book is about a widening gap between rich and poor. It's about living on the earth sustainably. It's about loving your enemies. It's about nonviolence. It's about political structures that are organized around protecting the vulnerable. When I actually read the Bible, I was like, 
This is not a book about some plane that you escape to or evacuate. You know what I mean? This is about the very grit and dirt and soil and economics and politics and integrity and character building of this world here and now. So it was actually the Bible that, and and my experience with telling people, hey, it'll get better someday, didn't actually seem to help transform them. It put every, it, it, it made this experience less real. But the expanded invitation to something happening right now in this world, let's build better structures. Let's start better businesses. Let's have more honest conversations. Let's, you know what I mean? That had a, had a, ah, what's the word? It had a center. It had a grounding. It had a life to it. So your, your question, it happened over a period of years where I kept noticing, man, this is, this is what's, <laughs> this is what's happening here now. So you occupied, you occupied that, I don't know, the word, let's say traditional space of this escapist, like, don't worry, you'll go to heaven type world that is, is probably pretty dominant within Protestantism at the moment. And as you were preaching and reading the Bible, you began to see the stories of social justice, inequality, heaven on earth now. And was it, would you say then it was... Like, what made you open to those right. stories and right. those narratives in the Bible that point to, hang on a minute, Jesus was probably for equality and social justice and making things fairer for people now, that you think, you know, a lot of the church, a lot of Christianity just isn't there yet. It's still yeah. the let's escape. I mean, what made those stories, was there like a gateway drug idea that made that jump out of the Bible, because it's still in there, but for some people it's there, for some people it isn't. What do you think showed right. it to oh, you? Oh, here's what happened. Oh, you'll love this. I'm, uh, so, so mind you, I finished school. You know, What do you know when you're in your 22? You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're not, you're not formed. You're not, I mean, I, I remember one of my first sermons. This guy comes up to me. You would have loved this. And after the sermon, he says, dude, you missed it. And I was like, missed what? And he says, uh, Jesus was Jewish. And I was like, no, I was pretty sure he was a Christian. I said something <laughs> ridiculous. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, what are you talking about? And he was, he was definitely Protestant. <laughs> and he says, no, 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 no. That sermon that you just gave, he's a first century Jewish rabbi. So when he moved, when it says he did that, well, that's a whole olam haba. There's a whole tradition behind that. And then when he has four cups at his final dinner with his students, that would have been a Passover Seder, so there would have been four cups. So when he lifts a cup, that would have been which of the four because the cup that he lifts, you know which cup it was, right? Like he basically does like inside baseball. Do you know what I mean? Like all this, wait, this- Hits you with the stats. This is a, is a text from a real place and a real time. Like, it's not just an abstract thing. Like, we know a lot about how the Roman Empire was organized. We know a lot about first century Mediterranean culture. Like, there's a whole background here that he's doing. There's subtlety and nuance and mm -hmm. inside mm -hmm. jokes and commentary. And it was literally, I'm telling you, 
it, and he started, he's like a good, like a good drug dealer. He kept, started giving me a supply of like these photocopied articles <laughs> by all these different people I'd never heard of. And what happened is it, it grounded the spiritual, if that makes sense. It like grounded all of this in how does the world get arranged? What is this experience we're having here? What is this wonder and awe that we feel from time to time? It like brought it all to earth really fast. And that was sort of the revolution for me. That, And then I literally, I mean, I was working in a church of thousands of people. And I would look around and be like, I don't think people are getting this story that they think they're following. It's way more dangerous and revolutionary than any of them realize. This thing, especially in American culture where the cross and the flag were so intertwined, I remember realizing, this is 26, 27, hold on, this book is a critique of global military superpowers, the Bible. This book is resistance against empire, not cooperation with it. This book is like the original Rage Against the Machine. Do these people realize that? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I, honestly, it was. And if I start saying these things. I don't. How, how's it going to go? Like, if I start actually mm. doing this. I, I wonder. I wonder how it'll be received. Yeah, that's what happened. Did, did it like it sounds it sounds like your your gateway drug w was an addiction to exploring perspectives of like here's the culture, here's the context, here's the tradition. And it almost, as, you, as you're handed a picture of another perspective, here's a first century Jewish perspective, all of a sudden you go, oh crap, 20, I, I'm looking at it from a 21st century yes. American perspective. And then, and then these things start jumping out of the Bible to you. And then you start, um, and then it almost exposes what? Something dangerous that says, whoa, have we been worshiping the god of america and the god uh, of empire and the god of consumption is is that kind of so what started to exactly what is you realize what happens is you read an ancient text and then it reads you so you, it's like mm. bouncing back to you like oh my god this oh this goes way this is yeah it was it was like a stunning it was like discovering how did this particular tradition get so hijacked that it's actually almost against its own roots? How did this happen? Even the support of violence, even, even the American military machine and the dropping of bombs and the waging of war and the way that that got wrapped up in some sort of spiritual God cause. Do you know what I mean? Like even how that all got enmeshed was like, that's the opposite of what this tradition is doing in the world. Oh yeah. It was, Oh my goodness. Like what answer did you find for that question? When you go, I'm part of like, cause you were part of like a mega church, yeah. a massive church. We've probably only got one or two here in Australia. America's got a, a fair few of them. You're, you're a part of this. Like, what answer did you find to that question that was, how did this happen? How did this ancient Jewish right. 
uh, right, religion right. that you're looking at that's pointing out injustice, no war, uh, pacifism, equality. What what answer did you find for that? Well, um, I mean, many people would point to the Roman Emperor Constantine in the 400s who realizes if I take the cross and the sword and hold them in either hand, I can unite this empire and use this to consolidate my power. And then he finds theological systems that help him explain to people that they're bad and need a, fundamentally bad and flawed and need a good leader to guide and direct them. So some people would argue everything goes off the rails in the 400s. Different people have different, um, at some level, the, the real question you're asking is power. Power and fear, you know. Religion being co opted. The usual to ones. Yeah, fear of the unknown. Uh, yeah, so it's probably, it's, it's both politic, it's both has a very clear line you can trace historically, and then it also has the same old stuff. You know what I mean? The same old stuff. What's your take on as you start to pull these things out? And you mentioned that you were started the questioning of, well, what will happen if I start saying this? What will happen if I start exploring these ideas? What's your take on your subsequent, I guess? I mean, like I was saying before, you Google Rob Bell and there's a certain part of Christianity that is, you know, it's probably been the opinion for quite some time that you're pretty used to being like this guy, he's misreading it. He's reading what he wants into the Bible. (laughs) Like what's your take on, I guess, the reaction to the journey that you've been on after you start discovering the, the first century Jewish perspective? People are rarely going to understand and affirm something if their paycheck is dependent on them not understanding it. I mean, a lot. You wouldn't believe the number of people over the years who have come quietly. It's almost like they come at night and go, hey, I love what you're doing, but I can't say that publicly because I'll lose my job. You would not believe the number of people like with their big television shows and they're all that who are like, oh yeah, I'm totally with you. I'll just lose my, it's literally like they say, I, my empire would fall apart if I were to acknowledge to my people who I really am and where I'm really at. It's un, I've had people, you would not believe how many people will say with a straight face, um, I, I, I have health insurance and I have kids to feed, so I can never say what I'm saying to you right now publicly yeah so that happened enough that when you talk about whatever that world is that's not a world that i really have any interaction with but i've just met so many people who are just very straightforward about where they actually are what actually is opening their heart and transforming them and then the role that they play within that machinery so Mm -hmm. yeah and and when you when you talk about this idea that you probably that that comes about when you start seeing these things in the Bible and seeing it through this contrast of perspectives of the modern uh-huh, to the ancient, uh-huh. and you come to this idea of like everything is spiritual, everything is connected, everything's moving towards justice, and we're we're a part of that journey as well. Where ha, is this idea like? Is this the idea that changes people? When you said you look out at the, the when you were part of a mega church and you're going, I'm not seeing 
the change that's promised. I'm not seeing that transformation. Is this the idea that you think leads us to that path of transformation or is it something Well, what I kept noticing is for many people, they, they had instinctively split the world into their everyday life where they, and they would say things like, I'm, I'm just a teacher. I'm just a mom. I'm just a business person, whatever. And then they would have these transcendent experiences in nature, with music, with the ones they love. It's almost like life was split into the ordinary and the, the sacred or the meaningful or the holy. And I just noticed how many people, when they began to realize that all of life, you don't have to live split. Uh, I, I noticed when people began to take what they had experienced in other experiences and look for the same depth and meaning in the rest of life, when they began going to work and instead of, well, these are just my coworkers and I just have to put up with them in order to do the job, and they began to look at their coworkers as also mysteries <laughs> and human beings with histories and dramas and heartaches and longings and desires. Um, it's like these tiny little subtle tilts um, would change everything. Suddenly going to work became something different. Um, so I just kept noticing, there's this old story that I love about Moses. He doesn't take his sandals off when he sees a burning bush because suddenly the ground is holy. He takes his sandals off because he realizes the ground has been holy the whole time. And he's just now becoming aware of it. So the answer to your question is awareness. I kept mm -hmm. noticing that the actual thing mm -hmm. is awareness. A awareness of this experience we're having. Like changed everything for people. And an awareness that everything is connected. Yeah. Yeah included yeah. in that contrast that idea with some of the buddhist ideas around oneness are you talking about a similar idea of oneness like the connectivity of everything and absolutely and actually buddhism was very helpful for me because of its language about like buddhism was had so many ways of moving beyond the dualities to the oneness that undergirds the dualities or you think about parts and wholes and all parts exist within wholes. So all divisions take place within unities. And I, mm -hmm. I right. uh, the non-dual, much of the non-dual language of, and, and conceptual frameworks of Buddhism was actually very, very helpful. Even you think about Zen and the intentionality mm -hmm. of everything that you do. Like how you do anything is how you do everything. So even slowing down and letting that spread into all of my life, an intentional life lived with a consciousness of each moment. Um, yeah, it was all transformative. Yeah, absolutely. What's the harm in, I guess, that split and that duality that you're talking about? If you're talking about r discovering a reality that we're all connected can help us see our coworkers yeah. as valuable and beautiful as we are. 
what's the harm of of occupying a like this split reality where things things are you know great question great question okay so here uh, let me think of an example okay here's an example imagine a family system an extended family system where certain things can be talked about and certain things we don't talk about or easy to imagine I'm good. yeah no sex do not talk about sex. notice so the moment you have two columns that which we can talk about and that which whatever you do don't bring it up the column of things yeah. that we can't talk about is running the show you know what i mean it always ends up running the show so yeah how, how does that work so that which you do not embrace and include ultimately becomes a shadow that haunts the thing from the underside. So think about a relationship. Right, so it's almost like it's the thing that everybody has agreed not to talk about, or it's the thing that none of us believe, but we all agreed to believe to, to believe, to pretend like we believe. And so it's the thing that isn't talked about, but it's the thing just below the surface. It's the shadow that actually haunts the entire house. So, uh, the moment what does that the, lead to that shadow with that that unconscious right, drive right, of these right, things right, we right. push down and don't talk about like i mean yeah in the in the human reality what what does that lead us toward it all uh, um one way to say it would be it blocks and inhibits the most primal flow of life nobody can get off the ground nobody can it, it's like everybody's stuck back there and the moment it's talked about and dragged out into the open, at least we can move on with some honesty and integrity. So that would be an example where we have these two, th whatever you do, don't bring that up. Like you get that new job and everybody's like, okay, welcome to the new job. Whatever you do, don't talk about that or don't bring that up because so-and-so, they will, and immediately there's no way that is going to be an optimal place to work. <laughs> It's just pushing the things down that need to be brought up because they'll, it's truth. So it's present. It's a, and what it becomes is it becomes a presence in absence. The thing that isn't talked about in America, we're still coming to terms with our history, the, the history of slavery. It's the, and when it's not fully talked about and acknowledged and dragged all the way into the open then it just becomes the it becomes the presence and absence it's it's there even if it's not there yeah these these ideas that you're that you're talking about and bringing this this everything is spiritual and these you know when you read a lot of your your books there's there's more questions yeah. there's there's more things to explore it's like it's it's kind of always expanding yes, thank the scope you. In. like here's one question <laughs> but my name's my name's rob and here's three other maybe more interesting questions like what this this breaks down a lot of um you know uh, your friend and friend of the show peter rollins always talks about uh you know the addiction to certainty yeah. we have and, w and when the more questions we explore it breaks down a lot of the security we find in in our certainty what what do you what do you say to people who and friend of the show uh, Christian Christian Ham sent this one through um, 
are these ideas you're talking about, everything is spiritual, these more questions that detach us from that security, are these only questions, is this only a position we can occupy when we're in a certain position on Maslow's hierarchy no. of needs? Is this, is this, yeah, no. explore that. And also the idea that this is, that this is somehow a threat to security. It's a different kind of security. So, so, for, so, so one Tell thing about more. mystery, a mystery is not something that you can't know. A mystery is something that you can know infinitely and endlessly. So what happens is for a lot of people, oh, mystery, you mean like it's a, a vague fog sort of, no, no, no. A mystery, yeah. it can be known. So, so, so you and I could talk about our childhoods, our struggles. You and I could explore each other's lives and all the ways that we've had similar experiences or different experiences. There would be something very mysterious that we would discover about the human spirit, about loss, pain, joy, euphoria. There are also things we would learn about each other that would be known. Where you were born? Did you go to school? What do you like to do when you're not doing your podcast? So this idea that mystery somehow means like a giant foggy abyss, let's just, let's just make sure we affirm mystery is that which you can know endlessly. And then secondly, by everything is spiritual, what we're saying is that as you move through life, spirit is hovering in all the messes and pains and challenges and struggles and joys of life. And so you're learning to listen. You're learning to pay attention to the deep knowing voice within you. Uh, earlier developmentally, People look to authoritative voices. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me what the rules are. Just tell me what I'm, how I'm supposed to behave. But, but growing up is learning to listen to spirit guiding you and showing you and listening to your true self and that resonant hum of who you are and who you're here to be. And I've sat with so many people who were confused, stuck, overwhelmed trying to figure the thing out and then when we could get quiet and remove the distractions and listen people always and they've been taught not to trust it but when you get all that sort of cynicism out of the way people always have a sense of who they are you know what i mean and you ask them tell me about things that you've done over the years that made you feel most alive show me the thread that can people can always affirm they can find these things. So everything spiritual is not some sort of loose, like whatever. No, no, it's, it's the ancient practice, thousands of years old, of listening to the deepest self. It's interesting that you, like you say there, we're taught not to trust it. Is that what is meant when maybe some Christians say, you know, like they've probably said it about you a million times. You're putting what you want into the Bible. You're you're putting your own experience at the center. You know that that's what that's what they would say. Is that what you mean when you're saying you're taught not to trust your own experience? Uh well, uh, that's a great question. There's lots of great questions in that question. First off, <laughs> you have your own experience 
is always the only thing anybody's ever had. Then you look to the experience right. of others. So, so I would just say at a most basic level, which is completely obvious, nothing I've ever said wasn't, hasn't been said for thousands of years by countless people. So I've never actually said anything new. So if somebody has a problem with what I'm saying, you have a problem with your own tradition and its depth and breadth. So uh, first, I, I don't give myself that much credit. Um, and yeah, yeah, like there's a 12th century German mystic named Meister Eckhart. Um, I mean, I you have him, yes. second century Celtic Christianity had at its center an understanding that proper care for the earth was the foundation of spirituality. So there's none of this. Or you go back to the ancient sages who were like the minor prophets, spoke truth to power and said, when you have more and more wealth in the hands of fewer and fewer people at the top, your entire culture will collapse on itself. So this is, that's not... There's a very modern economic theory, too, yes, about that. Yes, well. literally Bernie Sanders is channeling Amos. You, I mean, this is, this is, this <laughs> is not spiritual new. Um, this is not yeah. new. Yeah, and that's really so, important for people to know. You're, you are still very much within the Christian tradition, whether some people may like it or not and it's the language that you use it's it's part of what you're talking about uh i was i was speaking to and you you may know him um i was speaking to bart campolo a, a few weeks ago the episode hasn't come out yet and and that episode we discuss uh a few things and he says progressive christians which you may be categorized as one we don't know they're just labels right uh progressive christians are pretty much humanists that don't know it yet I guess the question that comes out of this for you, that's the, that's the inverse of the question I asked him. Why the Bible? Why the Christian tradition? What does it offer that say, like, what would you say to Bart Campoli when he's like, Rob, mate, you're just a humanist. Ditch the Bible stuff. You can still love and include people. Why the Christian tradition and why the Bible for you? Uh, are we alone? That is my question. Are we alone? in 2020 on our own trying to make sense of this experience we're having and find our way completely isolated from thousands of years of human wisdom about how the world works about how the heart is transformed about how you become a more loving expansive person do we just start in this moment from scratch and try to sort it out? Or do we listen to what people have been saying for thousands of years and at least take that into account at minimum? Because in my experience, there's a 12th century Sufi mystic named Rumi. The big red book is Rumi's, a collection of his poems. I find those poems so extraordinarily helpful for understanding the life of the soul. Do, do, I, do I get that? Or do we just do this like, no, we're on our own? I find it insanely arrogant to think that somehow we just in this moment don't need any help and that there's no accumulated wisdom 
that mm-hmm. might benefit us in some way. That just seems completely insane to me. And, and you see the connectedness of this tradition offering insights and different perspectives that you're actively learning from within this Christian Christian. Well, tradition. what's interesting is this tradition affirms the truth wherever it's found. So um, uh, anytime somebody uses a word like, uh, well, like Christian tradition or Christianity, I find these images, stories, commentary, parables, incredibly grounding and centering, but at the heart of them is affirming truth wherever you find it. So lit traditions, lineages, I love Ramdas. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you you affirm and celebrate the truth wherever you find it. So I am grounded in this particular lineage because it it's it's a center, it's a starting place, it's a path, but central to this path is the affirmation of truth, science, art, other spiritual traditions, master teachers, aesthetics, all of it. Yeah, I am I embrace and firm all of it. You're not you're not saying this one tradition, you're saying there's things we can learn from Absolutely. all traditions that are going to bring us forward Absolutely. and guide us. I've got, I've got, a, I've got a few friends who would probably say this. They'd probably say, "That's your like progressive understanding of it," and you've had to actually a, a episode I just released with a with a gentleman named Ryan Bell, who I think interviewed you when he did his Year Without God, and he goes. He, he got tired of playing these these games of like progressive Christianity being like, well, here's what the Bible really means about that. Here's what, here's what it's really talking about. And he would say for him, the Bible just got in the way too much in, in he, the Bible got in the way of him loving people he found. What would you say to that, that idea that says the Bible, when people read it, it's, it's when they just pick it up and read it, it's just straight off the bat without this historical understanding or theological training or things like that, it can get in the way. What would be your thoughts or response? Of course it can. You interpret a text through the lens of consciousness. If you're at an egocentric stage of consciousness, you're going to interpret it that way. If you're at a tribal or an ethnocentric stage of consciousness, you're going to interpret it as a very ethnocentric book that is about you and your people being right and everybody else being wrong. If you read it at a world-centric stage of consciousness, you're going to see the interplay between different tribes. If you read it through an integral stage of consciousness, you're going to interact with it and see its beauty and power. You're going to see all the ways that it could be interpreted. You're, you're going to have a very different sort of dance with it. So, of course, anybody can take any text and mangle it or use it for all sorts of destructive purposes. That isn't that interesting. What's interesting when I meet somebody who says, who's very emphatic about being a progressive Christian, is I just ask them about the Baptist church they grew up in. Because generally, that's a response. Generally, that endless naming is swapping out one fundamentalism for another. The the only interesting thing to me is what's it mean to be human? How do human beings flourish? And anybody who has any in the interesting thing to say 
about human beings flourishing together, caring for this planet, and moving the whole thing forward in new and compelling ways. So that's actually, that's Conrad, that's the question behind your question. Sometime in my late 20s, I realized, yeah. oh, this Jesus story is about being human. So it never, even I like, I, I never even really used the word Christianity because that was like a big bulky system. I'm interested in what does it mean to be human? This tradition that I come from has all sorts of interesting things mm-hmm. to say about this. So does this one. So does that. So does she. So does he. Um, if it's so, so human is the thing we're doing here. And that's probably why that's, you know, let's go all the way back to your beginning question. That's why the heretic word comes is because I'm not trying to help people be religious. I'm trying to help people be human. And that was always the only game in town. And this lineage happens to be extraordinarily helpful. Others do too. Let's, I mean, this is the thing. Let's explore this. Let's talk about this. Let's knock this around. You and I having this discussion, this is the thing. Yeah. I don't know what you are. I don't, or what label. It's like irrelevant yeah. to me. It's actually irrelevant because you and I are having this connection right now. That's what's interesting. You know what I mean? You're talking about, you know, people would say the book is the problem. The problem is the book and the Bible and, and this. But you seem to be repositioning it and saying, the book is a book. It's the Bible. It's the Quran. It's whatever it is. But it's the frame in which Absolutely. it's handed. If it's Absolutely. handed, if it's handed in the frame of here is reality and the way in which reality operates, and here is the perspective in which you must interpret that fr- that um, frame. Here is what it is. But you're talking about a frame of reference that goes. The Bible isn't the end of itself. Religion isn't the end of itself. Discovering and connecting with your own humanity, with the humanity of others, with the humanity of the planet, with the humanity of everything. That's what all of this is at the service of. Absolutely. And so any text, any tradition is taking place within an interpretive framework. So how the person is interpreting it is profoundly going to shape. And here's the problem with somebody saying, well, that book just gets in the way. What about the person I met who read in that book the line from the prophet about how to know the divine is to care for the poor, and they have given their life to fighting systemic poverty and helping those who have most been pushed to the edges. Like, that, <laughs> what, what, you're against that? You know what I mean? The problem is what happens when somebody sees in this profound insight into the expansive nature of the universe. And uh, most defenses of the Bible are pretty lame because they try and prove it from the same framework that made a mess of it in the first place instead of simply seeing it as an ancient library of wisdom that can be interpreted lots of different ways. You're going to interpret it through your stage of consciousness. But what does it mean to be human right now with what we're doing here? And takes you right back to this moment. And that makes all of this relevant 
because we are always only here in the moment. Well said. Yeah. How does this... Well said. I guess final question. How does this theoretical perspective for some, as they read your book, Everything is Spiritual, and they hear this conversation, sure, everything's connected. I know I'm made of atoms. I know that tree is also made of atoms. I know Rob is a person. I know I'm a person. I know all this. How does this theoretical perspective become the reality through which we see, through like encountering it on a, just not just an intellectual idea? How do we encounter this connectedness of everything is spiritual? Buddhism calls it oneness. How do we, I guess, experience that reality and live from it? Oh, yeah. It's funny because it was never theory for me. (laughs) It was always experiences. It was always experiences that I then went looking to try and make sense. You know what I mean? It's like my evolving understandings. Okay, so here's one. Uh, I think I, I talk about this in the book. Take the person who most annoys you, that has a supernatural ability to get under your skin, from the one to the many, from the many to the one, from the one to the many. This is the, this is the movement of evolution. The one breaks into the many, come back to the one, breaks into the many. So all parts exist within holes, all divisions take place within a oneness. So take this person who annoys you supernaturally. They can get under your skin like no other person. And everything within you is acutely aware of parts in those moments. I'm here and they're there and we are different. But then there is a consciousness shift where you tell yourself this person is my teacher and they are here to show me something about myself why do they provoke me in a way other people don't why do they set me off more than other people why it's almost like you look for anything that has charge to it anything that has current or voltage to it why do they produce such a strong repulsion within me and instead of pushing them away you, okay, I'm going to assume that they are my teacher here to show me something. And what inevitably happens is this strange sort of dissolving of the boundary begins to happen. Now, you might still passionately disagree with them and never want to be in the same room with them, and yet there is something about the parts that has been subsumed with the oneness and the wholeness of it. So... That is like the, I, the example of how these sorts of what feel like giant ideas are actually incredibly powerful in the grit and everydayness of life. That's been my experience. I will take that as a firm endorsement of this podcast as we listen to people you know, we disagree with and think of Rob when he goes, you know, feel that disconnect, feel that separation, that duality and reconnect it in the way of being like, what does it tell me about me? How can I, what can I learn from this? Yeah. And suddenly you still hold on to your convictions. You still call things what they are. And yet you discover there's a whole nother game to be played. There's a whole, there's a whole nother world right within this one. It's actually quite fascinating. Rob, 
thanks so much for taking the time to chat to us and explore some of these ideas. Obviously, this could go for another couple of hours, but alas, we, we don't have we don't have time. I uh, love talking to you. you I of... love talking to you. You're fantastic. Oh, that's why. Well, why? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, anything you you want to say or to wrap up? Um, to like nutshell it, but I think you did a pretty bloody good job at the end there. Yeah. Um, like in America, people keep talking about how polarized it is, how yeah. politically polarizing everything is. Polarization is the inability to see yourself in another. So, so the real art, which is what you're doing, the, the real growth in life is when you look far enough inside someone else to find yourself, when you look far enough inside yourself to find someone else. So I love the disclaimer you gave at the beginning because you said you're essentially saying the point of this space that you've created is for people to listen to each other long enough to find themselves in someone else. At which point, agreeing and disagreeing, whatever, you're this label, you're that, you believe, you're an atheist, you're, whatever. Because if we engage long enough, at some point, somebody's parents got divorced, somebody's partner left them, somebody lost a bunch of money, somebody was in the hospital, somebody, and we're like, oh, good God, that's me too. So my work was never about I'm religious, you're not, this, who's this person, what label is this person? What always has been utterly fascinating to me is to be in space long enough that we begin to leave all that ridiculous stuff behind and it's just you and me, humans, having this experience together. So I love what you're doing because it's just, yeah, I love it. Rob, you, you actually nailed my... Uh end segue out there which is if you hear an idea in this in this podcast and whether you agree or disagree as rob said meh whatever not the point hopefully you've been able to understand at least where rob's coming from what he's talking about if you'd like to connect with rob what's the best way to connect with you you've got a few different platforms you've got a book just yeah the out. new book is called everything spiritual we just released a new film called an introduction to joy which is about how life is fragile and temporary and we're all going to die maybe soon. And that joy is not about the denial of the pain of life, but it is the open-hearted acceptance and embrace of it that where you actually find the joy. And then there's uh, each week I do a Robcast. So all that stuff is at my site, robbell.com. Yeah. Awesome. And if you're listening to us live, thanks for joining us. This podcast, this, I mean, this conversation will be saved on our, uh, Instagram platform there, but it's a bit low quality, a bit pixelated. Audio is not that great. Uh, in a cu- in a couple months, when I get around to it, I've got a bit of a backlog. It'll become a podcast. So at a, at Ideas Digest on Instagram, Ideas Digest on the podcast platform you use. And if you want to email us, ideasdigest at gmail.com. Rob, it's been an absolutely fantastic conversation. I Thanks love for joining it. us. Thanks everyone for joining us live. Conrad, seriously, much love. We'll catch you in the next episode. <laughs>